name is Jack McDonald, and this is this is my favourite thing. I'm joined by a graphic designer to the stars, <laughs> an additional to the stars, um, a long-time friend, someone who it's taught nice. me how to ride a bike. Oh, yes. Good, good memories, good memories. Nicholas Castro. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I've never been on a podcast, so you'll have to forgive me. I'm very impressed, like all of your guests, at how definitively they can kind of just spurt out their favourite thing. Yeah. I'm always just very impressed at that. Okay. I find it very difficult because I think you first asked me about this, like, how long have you been doing this? What do you this? mean spurt out? <laughs> I don't know. Like, they just say it with such... Uh, like, uh, this is my favourite. This is it. Anyway, that's enough donkey business. Um, <laughs> my favourite thing, at least for the moment, you'll have to have me back on when it changes, I think. My favourite thing is train spotting the film. I haven't read the novel, but I suppose to put it quite simply, to be honest, it's quite an un it's one of those movies that is quite uneventful, really. It follows a group of delinquent drug addicts and their kind of the ups and downs they experience through their addiction with heroin and other um, ungodly behaviour. <laughs> um, as I said, not a whole lot really happens, but um, it's really kind of for me one of those films that where all the gold is kind of in the micro interactions between the characters and the the kind of nuances in in the characters themselves to be honest it kind of shocks me that it's my favorite thing being about such disgusting people yeah, i was gonna say because yeah, i don't like, think you are a drug addict no <laughs> well i don't uh, think so I, I like to think i'm not a drug addict or, <laughs> or a delinquent or anything of that kind i don't think i have a very addictive personality all things aside but um oh, I, I think i kind of tend to enjoy things that i don't align with more like a foreign experience almost that's right yeah um I think as soon as I'm able to relate to something more, I, it kind of bores me to tears. Maybe that's weird. I don't know if many people are like that, but um, my first time viewing it was a group of friends when I was working at the movie theatre. We would just kind of get together every every couple of weeks to watch a random film mm -hmm. from my friend's shelf. And it was just described to me, you know, very briefly as, oh, a film about drug addicts or something. And I really had no interest in it. I just kind of went along for the ride. <laughs> right. And it ended up just shocking me in all the right ways and being like perfectly disgusting. And yeah, um, I loved it. How recently did you have you seen it? I watched it maybe. I think I saw it like briefly before you saw it. Completely unrelated. Mm. And I think I've watched it once since. And then I watched it recently with the commentary. Like I watched it the other day with the commentary. Mm. And have um, you seen the sequel? Yeah, T two. I watched it the movies. Maybe before we get into it, do you want to just describe? like the main character and what the kind of plot is or, or would you say there isn't really a plot well, i suppose it um there's, there's a, a pretty based. there's kind of quite a loose chain of events i suppose you know spoiler alert in case anyone wants to watch it but um probably throughout the first act the kind of the cast is kind of in the in the grips of like quite a deep addiction it follows his attempts to to quit heroin. So heroin is the obviously the drug that they're all the majority of the cast are on. It, it follows their attempts to quit the drug uh, successfully at at some points throughout the film. It shows him uh, falling in love with a girl, at f literally falling in love at first sight. It follows the death of a friend through an unfortunate sequence of events. Uh, the death of the death of an infant. Um, which is quite <laughs> quite a shocking. This is quite uh, the synopsis. Yeah, quite the synopsis. Um, and the kind of eventual lead up to a a large drug deal, um, where Renton kind of plots to to kind of do over his friends in the process and take the yeah. the sum of the money, which ends in him delivering probably one of my favourite monologues of of all film. It's pretty impactful, kind of last act in my opinion. But um, 
it's a very loose kind of chain of events, I would say. It's yeah, not... but it's very character-focused. Yeah, that's where it shines. It's interesting. It's like the humour kind of comes from the characters and the depravity comes from the situation. And it's like how those two, mm. they keep, like, bouncing off of each other. And with any drug addict, I suppose, it's something that you, you don't really have a choice in. Mm. And I think the times when they are given the ability or the option to leave, they don't or it's, they're drawn back in in some way. Mm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's described at some point as a black hole. Yeah, they're all just sucked back into it. I think that's pretty fair to say. I think Renton is unique in the way that he's the only one that has any kind of ambitions for anything outside of drugs. Mm. I think they're all pretty content being in the limbo that they are in. Yeah, yeah. I think with the exception of Begbie, who is so Begbie is a rough. I don't really know how to describe him. He's just a an asshole. <laughs> he, he's he's the one that kind of sees heroin as a poison, uh, and he's he's the only one that isn't really a drug addict. He's kind of got other issues. Yes, <laughs> anger uh, issues. A plethora of other issues. Yeah. <laughs> With the monologue, I assume you're referring to the choose life. Thing. Yeah, I, I guess it's kind of a a couple of mon- interlocking monologues at the start and end of the film. I think opening is the way to start. Yeah, I think it also quite perfectly frames the um, kind of sardonic cynicism that a lot of the characters have to reality and then the irony of that at the end, I guess, mm, yeah. is quite interesting. But anyway. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a fucking big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing fucking junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked-up brats that you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got head on? Fantastic, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I think that the thing that really stands out about it is this... It's kind of this irony to choice. I mean, you choose these things, but it's such a specific path and set of options that he presents that it's kind of a life that you don't really choose you don't really choose any of it you can like Mm. choose within those things but Mm. but not the rest of it the way i i understand these kind of really heavy drug addictions is that it often kind of starts with one choice to try the drug and that Mm. kind of unfolds into some nightmarish events for a lot of people whether it be like meth or heroin or something so i'm not sure that there are many individual choices throughout the film it's just the result of one choice. I, I, I think I think so, yeah. Um, every instance where you're able to make the option to choose life, therefore, a kind of an uphill battle just because of the nature of drug addiction and that it is, as they say, a black hole. Mm. I kind of think that there's a lot of bitterness in that first. I, I kind of wonder if Renton, Renton, who is the main character who says that monologue, I kind of wonder if there's some kind of bitten, bitterness there because he is unable to make that choice. Like, mm. he kind of he's framing it that way just because he's unable to. I, I, that's kind of something that often passes 
through my head when I think about it. I guess because he's kind of an outsider. It's like that. It's like, like why I would can't I choose yeah. it, but why would I want it? Yeah, I, I think to an extent, maybe he doesn't understand. He's so intertwined with that drugo lifestyle that he just doesn't understand. And he, you know, the, the sheer pleasure of heroin, he doesn't understand how anyone could want anything else. Yeah. It's interesting as well that it's kind of framed <clears throat> as a kind of like a marketing message or a marketing tool or something. And it's kind of like... I guess like the, the dream, whole right? idea of like, yeah, it's like selling the dream and the way like marketing sells a kind of dream through these products and things. I'm sure as you've seen the second film, um, the monologue is almost a parody on a campaign, a marketing campaign, which is the Choose Life anti-drug campaign. Yeah. So I believe, I'm, I think, I'm not sure if it was just the UK. It might have been the States as well. For people who don't know, it was this huge campaign, um, essentially a war against drugs, um, revolving around kind of the single little tagline, if you can call it that, of choose life. Or I guess it's more of a mantra. And I, I guess as opposed to choosing drugs and sure. thereby not choosing life. Choosing and death. Choosing yeah. death potentially or, yeah. Right. Um, or what many of us don't consider to be a, a good life. So it's funny you say that because of its marketing roots um, with rent and, and everyone being... I suppose when you're a young adult, a late teenager, you kind of think you know everything. So it's quite believable that this group of hooligans are kind of parodying this big thing that they'd seen in the news or on the TV. Yeah. And they think they know better, obviously. They think they've got it all figured out when they clearly haven't. Yeah, it's almost like they're kind of conspiracy theorists. And they're like, well, obviously they wouldn't be trying to sell us this unless there was something else going on yeah perhaps. that that's that's right yeah like some ulterior motive or something yeah i guess like other films that kind of deal with drug addiction in a similar way this one's very empathetic and non-judgmental um, um i guess i was wondering yeah. if you feel that and what about it you think lends it that empathetic style it could just be that, for, for starters, we have already discussed how rich and kind of interesting the characters are, and that's where a lot of the quality of the film comes from. But perhaps in kind of presenting these really flesh-out, interesting characters to you, you, you kind of tend to care about them a bit more, hmm. and you kind of invest in them a bit more as people. Kind of an interesting side note on that, actually. I remember shortly, this is something that happened in real life for me, um, Shortly after watching the film for the first time, it was probably at the tail end of my kind of nightclubbing sure. um, days, <laughs> and, and I'm probably the, the fact, rave scene, yeah. <laughs> and probably the fact that I was quite intoxicated helped with this. But um, I I'd just seen the movie a couple of weeks beforehand, and whereas normally I would walk straight past someone on the streets, you know, asking for money or someone who has quite clearly had an issue with drugs. Uh, being as as intoxicated as I was, I did approach some homeless gentleman on the street. He was lying and down. Asked him for money. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't. No, nothing of that nature. Um, <laughs> no, um, I I had a chat to him, and it was just. I think if I hadn't seen the movie, I wouldn't have had this interaction. It was quite eye opening. He he was a gentleman who was a public servant. I think he he had a you know a reasonably sizable apartment, like um. seemed from what he described to be doing quite well for himself and it was just a a series of really unfortunate events that led him to making some really dumb choices and getting on heroin Mm. and it was just a really weird weird event that wouldn't have taken place that if i hadn't have seen the film and i think that it's interesting that these people that we see in real life we don't really give them a second thought and that's because we they don't have the benefit of having this story 
handed to people on a plate for them, yeah. you know, showing their, their experiences. And um, it, it's kind of unfortunate. And I think that, that this movie allowed me to, to see things that way was really quite beautiful, mm. um, despite it being such an ugly film. So I'm not sure exactly what it is about the film that opens that up open that up for me but I, I think probably the characters um danny boyle kind of talks about the there's like a stylistic <clears throat> element i'll read something in a second that he talks about like the way they shot it the way that almost none of the characters kind of have a redeeming arc or anything makes them more human and i suppose you can empathize yeah, it's more very with real them yeah because that is very real for example, I mean, we've al- we've already gotten into it. I, I I don't know if it really ruins the movie or anything, but at about the halfway point, the infant that lives in kind of this um, apartment drug den thing. Yeah. So M- Mother Superior, the drug dealer, he's his drug den, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, the infant I think just is dies from neglect. It's pretty much just left to kind of starve in this crib and it's this really horrific and disturbing moment and it mm, kind of like mm. wakes some people up and it f- forces Renton mo- mainly to go like deeper into a kind of kind of deeper into his addiction and I think for perhaps an American film a situation like that would be the turning point for a character in a kind of contrived way and it would be like oh I've got to get myself out of this I've got to wake myself up and do better by like myself and others around me but instead these people just continue on and try and cover up their like shame and frustration Mm. yeah they just try to drown it in more drugs yeah it's not nicer obviously but i Mm. think it's kind of more understandable yeah uh, that it's like i said yeah that's just it's very real and and people don't always have redeeming arcs like this gentleman i encountered on the street yeah, so the stylistic thing, the um, this is from a Danny Boyle interview with Keith Hopper. Uh, the, well, the interview question is, one of the striking features of train spotting is its inventive camera work, particularly those strange low-angle shots which I hadn't seen used to such a degree before. Uh, to which Danny replies, that was a big thing which we decided early on, that the camera was going to be on the deck a lot. No matter where these characters were, that's essentially where they were going to end up, on the floor. So we should just be there and wait for them. That was the basic aesthetic and we just followed it through. You have to plan this in advance and announce it clearly. I read that before I rewatched it and it was just interesting to watch it with the eye of... It's kind of like the story mm. kind of lends itself to being quite empathetic or non, non-critical or non-pitiful. And then the camera work and the style is so subjective and immersive like the novel is and it's waiting for them. It's, mm. it's quite interesting. It's like it sets you almost lower than they are because mm. you're so immersed in it, maybe. Mm. That's, that's very interesting. I I watched a, an interview once where people, uh, someone observed that the main cast kind of looked like when they're in the grips of the heroin addiction um, and they're sober, they tend to seem like zombies and they seem out of their element, you know, in a sober world. Mm. And it's kind of only when they're, on the heroin that they come back down to earth and yeah and tend to come back to their reality so their reality is heroin really so that's an interesting note you make about the camera work and maybe that lends to that idea well as as they say as they're coming to the ground um where they'll eventually end up that's kind of their element and that's where well for a majority of the film that is their element yeah it's it's a really interestingly shot film um 
I wouldn't say beautiful, but very just unique and yeah, I think yeah. it's also difficult. It's kind of underrated to make something kind of ugly and disgusting that's still very visually interesting. And it's yeah. it's not like repulsive really because you are constantly kind of impelled to watch it. Mm. But it's like a place you wouldn't want to be, I suppose. And especially mm. when like when they're kind of all sitting on the floor and there's all these like needles and things lying around on the ground and that baby's like crawling around on the floor and it's just this whole mm. sickening sense but they're all yeah. like laughing and enjoying it yeah uh so this is just from the director's commentary i think this is it's actually kind of the cast and crew but this is just danny boyle talking about the subjective camera the idea of the opening of the film which we were absolutely adamant about was that the film should explode into life because what the problem you've got with a drug movie is that people are expecting and you can get lured into this depressive kind of christiana f type approach you know or it's a moralistic um it, it kind of um, objective view of it and we wanted the film to be a completely subjective experience like the book is so there's none of this separation of you from the from the people who are the victims or the perpetrators of drug culture. The speech, that speech was originally in the middle of the film and at one of the points in the drafts, John suddenly moved it forward to the beginning of the film and again the film, it's one of those moments where you can feel the film kick into life at script stage. Can I just say that as someone who has a crippling fear of needles in every sense, yeah. it's just shocking to me that this is one of, I could even consider this to be one of my favourite things. This is one of my notes as well. <laughs> That's another thing that stood out when you said it and me re-watching it, the amount of detail that they put into like the prosthetic and actual time, like number of times that Ewan McGregor is injected or pretends to be injected with some kind of needle for how horrific you find it is interesting. Yeah, look, I'm still one of those people that needs someone to come with me if I'm getting an injection or a blood test of any kind. Like, yeah. anyone. It's just a hand to hold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, look, I'm, I'm just as shocked as you are, to be honest, that I enjoy this film. Um, Do you find it gross in the movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very gross. For me, view, the every viewing of the movie, I've probably seen it six or seven times, but... Pretty much every subsequent viewing is just as shocking as the last for me. Like in throughout, I'm just as shocked by yeah. by these injection scenes or the the shit being flung at across the room in certain <laughs> scenes or the death of the infant. Yeah, the um, focus on the like fecal and like blood and needles and all yeah, that stuff. It's, is... um, what, what do you say to that? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 horrific, but um, but in that clip you just uh, showed me, it's interesting that he speaks about presenting the events of the film subjectively. So when the film came out, it was met with some pretty terrible um, press coverage. I guess that their view is that it was objectively kind of selling the good side of drugs and glorifying it to an extent. Um, but it's just really interesting that for anyone that actually has watched past the first half an hour of the film or is that, you know, bothered to venture past a, a brief review, mm. would know that it kind of... I guess, shows every side of the, the drug addict experience. You know, I think probably particularly in the first act, it definitely shows the highs, the the pure pleasure of it all. It's pretty clear that they went into it wanting to show every side of it and kind of present things so that the viewer can kind of make up their own mind. It definitely isn't glorifying it, which mm. is just something that I know a lot of people 
um, were saying. I think most people that take kind of recreational drugs obviously are not stupid, I suppose. It's like this taking recreational drugs obviously doesn't directly lead to you being put into a coma or dying or anything, and it's generally a fun experience for those mm. people. And I think, uh, yeah, it's something that they mention as well, kind of being preachy about it is go- or moralistic is the word that he used. It's not going to get you an audience or any respect with anyone in that situation because it's so good to them. Some of this yeah. sequence was cut because um, I think they're particularly concerned about people uh, learning how to inject, which is, just seems ludicrous really in a way, considering the way we are. But that's the way things are, and uh, so they cut the moment where the, actual, where the needle penetrated the flesh. Not, I think, for reasons of taste, just for reasons of actually not wishing to encourage people to inject themselves. One of the interesting things about doing the film, of course, is that you, one of the things you learn is that the phobia we all have about needling, penetrating skin, and all that thing we feel, you know, when you go and give blood and all that kind of thing. Once you become an addict, it's, it reverses, and you actually become addicted to the process of injection, you know? And in fact, they talked about, the guys from Carlton Athletic talked about, like in the 80s when things were really bad and they couldn't, couldn't get any heroin or couldn't get anything to inject at all, they would inject water sometimes for the minute kind of rush or thrill they got from the actual ceremony of cooking up and preparing and injecting. And it becomes a kind of fascination, a morbid fascination with your own skin, your own mortality, I suppose. Anyway, that said, I just found that very interesting. Perhaps I've found a solution to my crippling fear of, of needles. Maybe Shooting I just need to. Water. I just need to become a heroin addict. And <laughs> reverse. And then you'll the come reverse. to love it. <laughs> you probably we'll can, can see that I, I've had quite a adverse physical reaction to viewing that clip. <laughs> um, well, I suppose this is a podcast, so people didn't see it. But I during, saw it. That's during, all that during that commentary, there was a a very graphic needle scene. Nick threw up, but I had to cut that out. <laughs> it was very sickening. But I, I just love that, I mean, obviously, I uh, the imagery of a needle penetrating a vein is quite horrific to most people, but just even throughout the film, like just the ability in filmmaking to make someone physically react, whether it be from, you know, scrunching up your face or balling your, your fists up and, you know, just in, in terror, it's, um, yeah. it's quite a powerful thing in, in any film, really, so... I think a big selling point of this film is just the shock factor and the emotions it takes you through. As you can see, I I have a very hard time watching those scenes. So It's interesting. I think um, that kind of physical and emotional reaction is kind of more unique to film as well. There are some really horrific things in this movie, um, even thematically, that have had that often have me reacting quite physically. <laughs> it goes back to... Um, my psychology teacher once told me this story about when he and his friends originally went to see Requiem for a Dream. That features, it's kind of, I think it's four different representations of kind of like these drug addiction stories that obviously turn extremely sour and then the end is really like overwhelmingly intense and horrific. Uh, and he was telling this story about he and uh, this woman and a friend of his, I'm pretty sure it was those three, they went and saw it at the theatres and the woman he went with was, like, physically sick and, like, threw up. 
like straight mm. after that and they all had to like walk out and leave it was such an intensely nauseating experience and I was thinking as well, I don't know why this came up with this movie. I think it was just there's something about it that really is quite grippingly distressing. But when I saw Under the Skin the oh, first yeah. time at the mm. movies, I, I think I don't know if I've told you this before, I had like a migraine almost <laughs> immediately after watching that movie. Oh, Lord. And there was nothing... <laughs> it's interesting. I, I've obviously kind of seen like worse things perhaps before in movies, but there's... The qualities some movies have, I think, where they just craft this experience that's so immersive and intense that your brain just, like, breaks in some way. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely in there, in that category. Um, but I know what you mean. They just sock you in the face with some <laughs> something horrific. I guess more on the gory side of things, the, the remake of Evil Dead, I think yeah. it was 2011 or something. I remember watching that with you and Michael. Was that, that with was you? truly traumatic. Just that, yeah. <laughs> But but there's I think there's there's some some kind of quality in that in filmmaking when they're able to do that it's it's quite an impressive thing to me mm. yeah to not have it be like eye rolling as well yeah I, I think Evil Dead was certainly a situation where it was like okay <laughs> you can stop you can stop now but everything in this film is kind of justified in that you know it is exploring the squalor of. A drug addict's life so it, it, it can contextually it all makes sense and it all it, it all seems like it belongs as horrific as these scenes are yeah mm. might just explain the name of the film train spotting mm. i didn't realize this but it comes from uh a train spotter which is a person who obsessively studies the minutiae of any minority interest or specialized hobby yeah so that's um, my journey uh, <laughs> At, at first, I was very confused about that. I didn't quite understand it. Um, I've, I've heard a couple of different theories. Um, so the first being that um, people kind of see that. I, I'm sorry to any train spotters out there. Train heads. How many train, train heads. heads do we have on the, on the, in the audience? Um, it's, it, it's often viewed as obviously a very mundane pastime. Um, some would say meaningless pointless even <laughs> but um people have aligned that with Renton and his friends and and their kind of meaningless drift through life and and kind of seeing a connection there um and others uh, others have kind of uh, uh well I believe in that it's actually in the second film but there's a part of the novel where Renton and his friends are looking to start trouble in a train an old train yard yeah and they stumble upon a homeless man who is revealed to be Begbie's father and it's also believed that the act of kind of scrummaging through old train yards is also referred to as train spotting among the youth of Scottish, of Scotland. <laughs> Sorry. It, it's never made clear really exactly why the movie is called that, or the, or the novel for that matter. There hasn't really a chance to talk about it, but the kind of loose um, narrative style that it follows is kind of attributed apparently to how it's the novel is essentially a collection of stories. Another uh, kind of story that is similar to that, I guess, is American Psycho, and that follows a similar, like, lots of tiny little narratives mm. where it's not really going in any particular place. It's just, like, examples of what the what the main character is like, I guess, and as you experience that, you just understand them more. I suppose it, it mirrors reality because I guess, you know, having 
being a teenager myself, obviously, um, <laughs> and having a group of friends, you know, your life is never really one single story thread. You know, you, you have all of these random events that take place. And the fact that the book is written that way, it's pretty clear to me that they probably were based on real events. And that's, I think it lends itself to just the believability of it all. Yeah. Um, and the believability of these characters. So I, I just enjoy that that's how it turned out, that it kind of, those qualities of the novel being made of several little stories kind of comes through, um, despite them trying to make a cohesive narrative. So mm. I, I, I enjoy that quality of it as well, yeah. I, I'm just absolutely in love with the the tail end of the film, the monologue at the end. That's what really hits at home for me. So we obviously spoke mainly about the monologue at the start, I suppose, but it's mirrored by the, a, a very similar monologue at the end of the film. And I think they're both kind of framed by a drug addict at very, very different points in their life. And I think that bitterness that kind of haunted him at the start is definitely gone. So essentially at the, st at the end of the film, uh, Begbie, Spud, um, Sick Boy and Renton, so most of the main cast, they undertake this, this huge drug deal and I think they end up uh, trading drugs for how much is it? Is it's it? like 16,000 16, something like that, yeah. Unless you completely remove yourself from your previous addict life and all your connections and co, you're like extremely, extremely likely to fall back into those same habits and getting back on the drugs again. So I guess it's interesting on the one hand you have this kind of denial of that life and then on the other you've got the kind of optimism and drive towards a better life. Potentially that, that attitude he has at the start of the film, yeah, it stems from the fact, as I was saying before, that he can't, he isn't really able to choose life um, because he's surrounded by these people that inevitably drag him back into his drug addiction. Mm. Yeah, so I, I find that interesting that, yeah, he's, it, it's essentially his ticket to the other side, yeah. Do you find it uplifting, the ending? Um, it's definitely a bittersweet thing. I wouldn't say I feel uplifted because there's, there's kind of also the doubt that you have in the back of your head that perhaps he will fall back into the addiction. And obviously it kind of is tied up nicely in some ways in the, in the sequel. I, I definitely wouldn't say uplifting. How does the film leave you when you finish watching it then? Do you I mean, I think it's hope. You feel hopeful certainly for Renton. I mean, everyone in the film... I don't think anyone is really a particularly good person in the film. <laughs> I think they're all kind of terrible people. Mm. Maybe with the exception of Spud. So Spud's kind of the lovable idiot, I guess you could say. Yeah. He's very in an innocent character. but um, So I think you feel hopeful for Renton because he's kind of the one that... The only one that you really kind of think could have any shot at a real future yeah. based on the fact that he's kind of the only one with... As any kind of ambition, really, for anything past drugs. I can't remember when you started doing this, but when you started working, I don't know, is it like a support work or like care work or something like that? You could just call it, I guess, a, a support or a disability support worker, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the stories you've told me about that kind of experience just remind me of this movie in some way, and I think... Again, it's kind of similar to what Brooke's choice was, which was Troll, trolls, trolls right. and her having that experience working in childcare and your kind of experience working in a, in a field, I suppose, that's 
it's kind of an outsider feel and it's a collection of people that we don't really consider that much in society, I guess. I don't know if you feel like there's any kind of parallel. I suppose it just goes to your kind of empathy thing that you, or perhaps understanding that you pointed to with watching this movie and then talking to that guy. Perhaps that's something this movie has given me, a stronger sense of empathy. Yeah, I can't say I made a conscious decision to then go into that field of work, but yeah. maybe subconsciously at some level this movie helped allow me to do that. I don't know, that's an interesting... Uh, <laughs> you're kind of analysing things that I, I've never Sorry. thought about. But no, that's interesting. <laughs> I guess sim similarly that the people that I was working with were vulnerable people. Um, in a sense, these people in the film are very vulnerable um, to their addiction. They're troubled people, um, people that probably need help. It's surprising as well <clears throat> when you would tell me stories every now and then of something that I suppose if it was like a friend that had done something, it would mm. kind of be almost irredeemable mm. or at the very least would make you question why you were kind of having that person be around. And I think it's, yeah, I don't know, it's an extremely kind of difficult position to be in because <laughs> you're kind of surrounded by, uh, I kind of want to be kind of sensitive with it, but it's like people who aren't in control of their lives to fully or I suppose and also kind of not fully socially developed I suppose as we would understand it and so there's this kind of different line of what is normal and um, expected I suppose when you're mm. talking or interacting with someone with a disability perhaps in that sense and I guess there's just this interesting parallel of being out of control yeah, yes. I, I guess they've all reached that means to a different by uh, by different methods. So I suppose the people that I was working with were kind of estranged socially, maybe due to a, or obviously due to a disability or being um, non neurotypical. Hmm. I think is the appropriate term. Yeah, don't right. want to offend anyone. Um, That's all right. I already did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've um, but that. I suppose the people in this film have, by other means, have kind of become socially kind of inept. You know, obviously by their heavy drug use um, or, or perhaps addiction to alcohol. You know, it's it's never fully explored in the movie. I suppose how these people became drug addicts was it, it maybe it was just a series of really stupid choices, or maybe they just had some really terrible up upbringing yeah it's pretty clear Renton Renton's family life is explored pretty heavily he seems to have some parents that are pretty yeah and I think um, they they're kind of the um crutch I suppose they're the crutch out of his drug addiction as well because they like force uh, yeah force and support him to kind of kick it I guess yeah but perhaps that's why he he has more ambition than the others perhaps it's because he's had a better upbringing again we don't really get to see the others as we discussed we see in train spotting too that begbie's father is a, a bum essentially a homeless guy in the train yard but they're, they're definitely all socially estranged i would say mm. um from from the mainstream for sure they're all deviants yeah <clears throat> and i think i mean obviously people who are like non-neurotypical as you said there, they, is a, there is a proper term, I just can't remember. Neurotypical is you yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. For obviously, yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> but, um, but I, think that, <laughs> I think the thing to highlight, though, is like that's not a choice as well. And I think being kind of socially ostracized, obviously, is not really anyone's choice ever 
to go back to that opening monologue of all these kind of traditional choices and a, like a traditional life. There, that kind of cynicism, I think, speaks to a lot more people than just the protagonists of this movie. I think it's kind of like that's why I think you can watch this movie and enjoy it because it's it's not like these these people aren't really foreign to us. There's like mm. elements of lots of people that we've met and people that we are innately that mm. they mm. represent, I guess. I've definitely met some spuds <laughs> in, my, in my life. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Looking at a spud right now. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was working in that role for maybe two years or a year and a half. And pardon me, you definitely see the full spectrum of it all. Um, you definitely see people who are living in pretty terrible conditions um, in share houses, people in a happy family setting um, who are living that kind of dream life that is kind of spoken about in the monologue. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that there's like a cynicism or a bitterness. I think I definitely have seen people that definitely wished for a better life. Maybe there's more, yeah, maybe there's a bit of a jealousy um, in the air, but they, they tend not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not too sure that they they tend to linger on it too much. Whereas these people in the film have kind of stumbled into drug addiction. I think a lot of the people that I was working with live with their disability their whole life. So it was kind of all that they had known. Yeah. So they tend to linger on it less. Um, so I'm not sure that they're entirely the same in that situation. Um, right. But perhaps the people in the film are so bitter and cynical because they have maybe at one point or another in their childhood experience some form of normalcy. And through, I guess, their own these their own kind of chain of events have devolved and strayed from the path. I think yeah. it's interesting that this movie also is an inversion of that trope of... I think I would point to a lot of, like, Marvel movies at the moment where it's... I think that's the most obvious example of, mm. like, the family you find. I think Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe. I'll be super specific because it's these completely disparate people... Mm -hmm. but they ultimately come together and though they're kind of ostracised in one way or another by their family or community or whatever, they find their, like, their people, I guess, and there's mm -hmm. something, like, beautiful and lovely about that. But then this is the complete opposite. It's, like, the family that you've, like, created are these mm. people who don't have your best interests at heart. They have their own interests at heart and they make that yours as well. And I think they have to rent and... Um, journey to leave that. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, there's definitely a sort of empowerment in that, in, in both sides of that. Like, um, obviously, there is empowerment in coming together, mm. um, but but in this sense, that you're definitely right. It, there is really the only way out is to to, to leave the family, so to speak. Um, mm. And it, it's interesting in in these final scenes, as as Renton is taking the money from his friends, um, they're all fast asleep in in a hotel room he kind of reflects on it and he, he tries to justify it to himself and he speaks about how pretty much you know if any of the others had had the chance they would have done the exact same thing and taken the money from him mm. and that kind of speaks to what you're saying that everyone just has their own interests at heart and that they've perhaps originally they came together through similar interests or a genuine friendship but it, yeah. it definitely has devolved and it's all, all for one really it, uh, by the end, or well, throughout the events of the film. Mm. 
I can't I can't say train spotting is my favorite thing for any one particular reason, but train spotting is probably my favorite thing just because it's the whole package and it it kind of has had um I don't know, I guess profound effects on my my life and how I view people that I normally would not even view at all. You know, I guess from a film making perspective, so not getting too deep there, but from a p film perspective it just it's got this fabulous, just dark sense of humour. I was trying to kind of think of another film or another director, another writer with a similar kind of um, direction with their comedy, but I couldn't really think of anything. Maybe maybe kind of like the darker Tarantino stuff. Um, but it's just got this amazing dark humour, which kind of hits in all the right places. It's got this fantastic soundtrack, which it's probably one of my favourite soundtracks of any film. And it, it kind of perfectly captures the time, the feel and just the setting in general. Um, and it make the, the, the soundtrack's unique in that it kind of makes you feel as though you're in there and you're, you're kind of one of these young adult dirt bags, you know, you kind of, you kind of you, this is exactly what they would be listening Crunchy. to. And they even discuss yeah. their tastes in, in music throughout the film. And you're kind of treated with these tracks in the background. Hmm. So it's got this fantastic soundtrack that ties everything together. It's, it's a film that makes you think it makes you, it makes you react. It makes you laugh. It makes you want to cry. It's, it's got, it's just the full package really. Yeah. So I wouldn't really attribute it to like any one single thing, but you know, it, it's kind of interesting that you've brought up my disability work. Perhaps it played a part in that. Perhaps it opened up my mind a little bit. But I would just, I, I would recommend anyone to see it just because it, as we've said, it, it really is an experience. It, it makes you feel it all. I, I definitely wouldn't let the subject matter put you off because as someone who is absolutely terrified of needles, as we've discussed, it, it, it's, um, it, it's kind of shocked me how much I love it. It really mm. has. And these, and these are, certainly characters that I don't think I will ever forget. Like, um, we haven't really delved into the, the different characters too much, but yeah, they're, they're probably some of the most memorable in film for me, really. Yeah. Go and watch it. <laughs> and the sequel, the sequel is fantastic. I think if we had spoken about the sequel, it would have detracted from the brilliance that is, cause I, I don't think it quite, yeah. you know, climbs to the same highs as the original. It's certainly one of the better, sequels to a cult classic that I have seen. I think it carries over all the, the kind of brilliant aspects of the first one while quite perfectly contextualizing it in a modern setting. Yeah, all com a completely different standing point, at, uh, sorry, starting point. And I suppose in adverse to the first one where it's about a, him rent and leaving a family, hmm. this is kind of about him returning to where the family once was and seeing how everyone went their own ways and but go watch both of them. Fantastic films. Thank you for listening. Follow the Instagram, T-I-M-F-T underscore podcast. There's a Facebook page now. There's a newsletter. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Where do you listen to it, Nick? I listen to it on SoundCloud. I hate SoundCloud. <laughs> but, it, but, but It's a plug. So, so I couldn't tell you why, but um, <clears throat> I think I like the little slider. Yeah, it's cool. A little audio thing. You see what's coming up. Um, the peaks and troughs. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at T-I-M-F-T underscore podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, which I personally use. Or wherever. And don't personally like it. <laughs> I don't personally like it. To be honest with you, I don't really know what <laughs> Apple Podcasts is. Anyway. Okay. Um, it's just the podcast, their app. Is it? Okay. okay. Their native app. 
I hate I hate Apple at the moment. So. Okay. And there's a newsletter on the website at jackmac.xyz slash T-I-M-F-T. Releasing with each episode every second Wednesday. Cool. Wonderful. Thank you very much. That's okay. Lovely to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Until next time.